If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. This evening we will read verses 27 through 34. And as we read, pay attention to two things. Number one, pay attention to the fact that these are the words of God and he is speaking to us through his word tonight. And number two, pay attention to the fact that this passage seems kind of mundane a lot of the times. Like we read it and we think, oh, I've heard this one, I've heard this one. And yet when you think about what's happening to the people in this passage, it was the most life-changing experience of all time. I just want you to pay attention to that. This is Matthew 9, 27 through 34. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has been ever seen in all of Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. God is alive. He does whatever he wants. And he wants us to trust him and do what he says. God is alive. He does whatever he wants. And he calls us to trust him and do what he says. He's alive. He does what he wants. He calls us to trust him and do what he says. This passage is one that seems so mundane, like we've heard it before. Doesn't Jesus already healed a bunch of people? There are blind people before and demon-possessed people before. Matthew, why do you keep bringing the same stories up over and over again? And sometimes we get so caught up in the routine, anything can become routine. Reading stories about people's lives absolutely transformed can be routine. Chris talked about going up to Seattle to get out of the routine and praying that God would show him something new because so often life just feels like a routine where we just do the same thing over and 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 over again and over again. I had a friend who had a friend. This is a friend of a friend who worked in a slaughterhouse. And if you were an Omega with me when I was a high school pastor, I've told you the story before, but I'll tell you again. He worked in a slaughterhouse. And his job, this is a job that I would not want to do. His job was, it's a little graphic, but his job was he had this big giant knife and they would take a cow in and they would slaughter the cow. They would slit its throat and they'd shoot it in the head. And then the cow would be put on this like gurney thing and they'd pick it up with this crane and they'd move it over to the friend of my friend. And he stood there in this giant tub of cow guts all day long with a giant like cleaver thing and he would grab the tail of the cow that was dead. He would go and everything would come out and then the new cow would come in. This was his job. So all day long, these cows would come past him and just 
right? The most disgusting job imaginable, but this guy got used to it. You can get used to anything. That was his routine, just zoom, zoom, all day long until one day, (laughs) uh, this man was standing there, and cow comes by, zoom, zoom, cow comes by, zoom, zoom, cow comes by, he grabs the cow, he goes, puts the knife in the cow, and the cow goes, right? And flails and jumps off of this little gurney thing that it was on, this harness that it was on, and the cow just stands there, and it's staring at him. Its head's like flopped down the side, and it's staring at him in this giant tub full of cow guts, and the guy's like, ah, right? And the cow starts like, zoom, zoom, at him, and it can't see him, right? It must be dead or half dead, and just coming at him, and he's just, ah, right? And up in this catwalk, his foreman comes, pulls out a sidearm, and drops the cow in its tracks, and just, falls right next to this guy. And then this team comes in and they pick up the cow, they put it on the gurney, and then he picks up his knife and the next cow comes and and he said for like a week every time he's like, gross story, gross story, gross story. Uh, All of a sudden something shattered his routine and that story teaches us a, a few different things. One, teaches us the kind of job that we probably don't want to have. Uh, two, that story tells us that we can get used to anything. Three, that story tells us that we need to be very careful when we're treating something that's alive as if it's dead. Right? God is alive. He does whatever he wants, and he calls us to trust him and do what he says. Sometimes our relationship with the Lord gets so routine that even though we're dealing with something big, right, we're dealing with the God of the universe who created all things, who spoke the heavens into place, we're dealing with the biggest thing, we're dealing with the reality of our everlasting soul and the lives of the people around us, we're bringing the kingdom into this world, even though we're living in that reality, we get used to it, and church becomes routine, and the Bible becomes routine. Some of the most beautiful things that God has gifted the church is his word, that we can actually have access to his word. The living word of God becomes routine where we read it and we think, I've heard that one before. Stories about Jesus making blind men see and making demonized men well. We say, I've read this one before. And and honestly, even me, when I approached the passage this week, I thought, oh man, I feel like we already preached this one. Because we get used to it. Hey, what's something new we can get out of the fact that Jesus came to the earth and he made blind people see? Right? We sing that song that blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will rise. And, and, and it should make us filled with this fantastic awe because God is so amazing and big and does great things. But sometimes we just kind of nod along and think, oh, I like this one. Right? We're dealing with big, weighty things and we get used to it. Which is why I love in this passage there are a few different elements that Shock us out of the routine, right? Not as shocking as the cow that fell off the thing. But there are some things in this passage that when you read this passage, and maybe you notice this when you read it together, there are a few things in this passage that don't seem to add up. Did you notice that? They just seem different than other stories in the New Testament. And I do think this story is different. There's something weird going on in this passage. It seems like Jesus is irritated with these blind men, doesn't it? Right? Jesus is walking down the road, and there's these two men who are blind, and they're calling out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And it doesn't say that Jesus noticed them. Right? He just kept on walking. 
He goes inside his house. He like starts to close the door and they follow him in and they track him down and they corner him. And they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? I say, yes, Lord. And Jesus says, okay. And he touches their eyes and he makes them see. And then he says to them, and and the Greek and the English text bring out that he says it really sternly. He says, don't tell anyone what I just did. I was like, what is Jesus doing here? Why is he so mad at these blind people? There's a similar story a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 20, almost identical, but Jesus acts the way we would expect him to act in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, Jesus is walking down the street, and there are two blind men sitting on the side of the road, and they call to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The same words. And Jesus stops his whole entourage, and while the crowd tries to quiet these blind men down, Jesus wades through the crowd, and he looks at these men, and and he makes them well, and they stand up, and they begin to follow him. That's what we would expect Jesus to do. That's not what Jesus does here. Here, Jesus ignores the call of these hurting men until they walk into his house and like bust down his door, and then he heals him, and then he yells at them. Isn't that crazy? Why is he so mad at these guys? Is he really mad? In the passage before, Jesus is healing, and, and everyone's just trying to get his attention, right? The man, Jairus, comes, and he tells him, my daughter is dying, and he goes, and on his way, this woman comes and grabs Jesus and gets healed. Is Jesus just getting so attacked by humankind that he's sick of us? I don't think so. And it seems like what Jesus came to do was this very thing, to give sight to the blind and make the lame walk and the demonized well and the dead alive. That's what he came to do. He's fulfilling his mission. And yet as he talks to these people, he, something's different. He tells them, don't tell anyone what I just did. And Jesus does that all the time too. The first man he heals, the leprous man, he heals him and says, don't tell anyone, but go show the priests. But Jairus' daughter, that little girl, the 12-year-old who died, in Mark's account, Mark says that after he healed her, he told Jairus, don't tell anyone what I just did to your daughter. And Jesus tells this man, don't tell anyone what I'm going to do. He even told the disciples when he showed them who he truly was, he said, don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. When they said, you're the Messiah, he said, shh, what's he doing? Doesn't Jesus want his name to be made great? Doesn't he want his popularity to grow? Doesn't he want the world to know who he is? And doesn't he want the world to see that he's doing great things? But he shuts him up. Or at least he tries to. That's the other weird thing about this passage. Jesus tells these two guys, listen, don't tell anyone. You know, if Jesus healed you and then said, listen, Look at my eyes. Look at my, listen, don't tell anyone, right? Like, okay. Like, hey, guess what just happened, right? Like, on one hand, we get it. Like, I would, what are you supposed to say? Like, hey, didn't you not be able to see yesterday? Like, oh, oops, you know, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. But when the king of the universe says, don't tell anyone, right? You just go hide in a cave and lock the door and just hope no one comes because that's what God just told you to do. And yet sometimes we read this passage, maybe every time we read this passage, we give these guys a pass, right? We're like, well, Jesus transforms their life utterly and the first thing they do is disobey him. Isn't that crazy? That sounds a lot like us sometimes. Transforms their life and they disobey him. Did he know that's what they were going to do? Why would he even want them to keep their mouth shut? And what is going on in this passage? 
Okay, we know that God is alive, that he does what he wants. He wants us to trust him and do what he says. <laughs> Jesus is definitely doing what he wants in this passage. And these guys are definitely not doing what Jesus says in this passage. You get a little glimpse of some of the tension that's going on if you keep reading, because another man comes. As these guys go out and start disobeying Jesus and spreading the word, this other man comes, this demon-possessed man, and he can't talk, and Jesus apparently heals the demon, and then the guy begins speaking, and the crowd is looking on, and they're amazed, and they say, we've never seen anything like this before. Something great is happening here. And then this passage ends with religious people saying, it's by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. This power that Jesus has is not from God. This power he has is from Satan himself. And all these people have opinions about Jesus. And maybe that's why he wanted these guys to keep their mouth shut. Because when the reputation of Jesus starts getting out, people start making opinions about Jesus before they meet him. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people have opinions about Jesus who have never met him? And sometimes we have opinions about Jesus and what he's doing. Someone says, oh, God has done this great work. This happened. You're like, oh, I bet that really didn't happen. So, oh, man, we prayed for this guy and they were healed. You're like, well, no, right? <laughs> That's not how God works. He doesn't heal people. It's probably the doctor, right? His medicine probably didn't kick in for a little while. Or right? We have these opinions about what God is doing. And all we see in this passage is Jesus doing whatever he wants and people being stupid. That's all we see, Right? And it starts out with the people being good, they have a desperate need, and then they start disobeying Jesus, and the crowds are amazed. But then the religious people come in and they say, no, Jesus is from Satan, right? And all we see is that Jesus is doing great things, and people keep messing it up. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. God is still alive, Jesus does whatever he wants, and he wants us to trust him and do what he says. And a lot of times... We don't. Now God does something great, and we shut it down. And God says, I, I want to transform you. Now go into this realm, and we say, no. God says, I want you to go and talk to your neighbor about me. No. I want you to get rid of this thing in your life. No. Hey, I, I want you to start engaging in these practices. No. Right? You see a video about small groups. Like, ah, oh, maybe small groups. Then John says, vulnerable. You're like, no. Right? That's not what I want. It's not what I want. And so often God comes in like he does in this passage and he does miraculous work and says, okay, now go do this. And we say, uh-uh, and we stop it. The Bible calls that quenching the spirit. But the spirit of God is trying to do something in our lives and do something in our communities. And, and we say, ah, uh, no. God is alive. He does whatever he wants. He wants us to trust him and do what he says. And so often we don't. Sometimes we wish religion was flipped. You know, like if Jesus said, listen, here's the deal. I made you. You messed up. Let's deal with it. Here's the plan. I, I want you to go on this amazing adventure, right? I, I want you to go to Lake Chabot, and I want you to swim across Lake Chabot. There's a little island there, right? Climb to the top of the island, and you'll find this little cup, and you drink from that cup, and you'll w sprout wings, and you fly across the lake, right? You're like, yeah, okay, I'll do that, right? I'll go on this pilgrimage, and at the end, I'll get the crown of life, right? It's like, yeah, that's a religion that I want, right? But Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. You messed up. I will die. I will forgive you. I'll rise again. I will give you life. Do you believe me? And you say, yeah, I believe you. Okay, you have it. Now go and do. And you say, uh, no, no. Our setup is way better. God has done all the work. We need to trust him. And, and yet then he says, if you trust me, here, here's what I want you to do with your life. And we say, uh, I don't want to. 
And, and then we spend the rest of our lives wondering why nothing's getting better, right? Why everything seems routine and nothing seems new and everything seems stale and why God isn't speaking to us anymore. Maybe he is. Maybe we're just not doing what he says. And God's alive. He does whatever he wants. He wants us to trust him and do what he says. And if the people in this passage, they come to him and say, I want healing, right? And he says, fine, you're healed. Now don't tell anyone. They're like, ah, who cares? I'm going to disobey. <laughs> the person comes and Jesus does miraculous work. And people come in and say, ah, don't watch this. This is not good, right? Quenching, quenching, quenching what God is doing. The Christian life is not supposed to be about quenching the work of God. It's supposed to be about allowing him to work and trusting him and doing what he says so that freedom might come into our life. And tonight, I, I don't want to talk for too long. I want to close this up, and I want to give us a time that we can pray and ask God to show us what he wants us to believe about him. I mean, I love that. Those two men come to Jesus, and when they finally have him cornered, he says, do you believe I can do this? Right? That's the question. Do you trust me? And they say, yes, Lord. And he heals them because they have faith and he wants to give them transformation. And, and then he says, great, now with this new life I've given to you, here's what I want you to do. Keep your mouth shut. And they can't. So some of you have gotten to the point that you say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I need you to transform me. I need you to forgive my sins. I need you to give me a new life. And Jesus says, do you trust me? And you say, I do. And he says, then you are forgiven. Now do this and you'll find life on this earth and your life will grow and you'll get better and your life will change. Your circumstances will change. Your relationships will change. The world will change. And you say, I'm going to do the opposite. But thanks for, thanks for forgiving my sins. God is alive. He does whatever he wants. He wants us to trust him and do what he says. The question tonight is, do you? Same question he asked these guys. Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that Jesus has the power to give you life over death? That he has the power to forgive your sins and the authority to do so? Then when he says, okay, now do this with your life and you'll find freedom there. Now do you still trust him? Do you believe he can do it? Do you believe he can bring life into your bones when they're withering and dry or do you want to trust him for the most weighty things and then trust yourself for the rest of your life and then blame him that your life still sucks isn't that what we love to do tonight in a moment we'll pray together and we'll have some time where each of us quietly and silently can stand before him and just ask him god what have you revealed to me that you want me to believe and for some of you, you haven't stepped over the line of faith and said, Jesus, I trust you with my life. And for you, maybe this is a time where you need to say, you know what? I'm in. I'm all in. I, I trust him. He's alive. He does what he wants. He wants me to trust him and do what he says. He says, believe, repent, believe the gospel. I'm in. I'm in. Right? Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you've done that. And then the moment Jesus transformed you, you shut yourself down and said, okay, now don't tell me to do anything else. Right? Ask God to give you the faith to open your arms and your life and your heart to what he wants for you next. The communion meal that we'll celebrate at the end of this prayer time is one that is supposed to breathe life into us. It's supposed to remind us that Jesus himself is what gives us life. That his body was, was given for us. This bread, this broken bread reminds us of his body on the cross where he died for our sins. 
This juice that we drink reminds us of the blood that was poured out to establish a new covenant where we could be with God forever. And when we take this bread and this cup and we ingest it, and we remember that Christ is in us and he wants to transform us and it should empower us to proclaim his death, to celebrate his death, and then walk out of this room and say, I'm a new man or I'm a new woman and I want to live a new way to see God transform the world through me. That's supposed to be what we do when we celebrate. It's not just a time to be sad. It's not a time to eat this and think, God, I'm still messed up. It's a time to say, God, even though I'm messed up, you in me is the hope of glory, and I give my life to you again today. Use me, even as this broken vessel, to bring the gospel to the world. So tonight, we're going to pray, and we're going to take some time and Spend in silence with us, each of us and God, and then I'll pray for us and for our community and that we would be people who don't just experience transformation and then shut down, but allow God to continue to give us the grace that we need to walk down the path of life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me.